Welcome to Catch the Fire London podcast. We really pray that you will be blessed and encounter God's transforming presence as you listen to this message. It's so good to have Paul and Sue back with us in the house, isn't it? Come on, let's do another round of applause for these guys. We are blessed to have them with us today. So why don't you stretch your hand out to Paul. Father God, I thank you for the incredible revelatory gift this man carries. I thank you for the way he hears your voice and then is able to translate it into something that we understand, God. And so I just ask today you'd anoint him and appoint him in this moment and bless him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. I'll put that slightly to one side. All right, well, it's good to be here. Haven't seen you for a while. Been a a good but slightly busy season. We've been to America four times since December, which uh, which is kind of fun. So, because we have a granddaughter, we the the Manwarings finally have a girl. She is the first girl born in my family line, a Manwaring, for seventy years, and probably only the second for over one hundred and twenty years. So, yeah, that's just uh, that's just a bit of fun, and. Uh, yeah. Um, we probably don't have a ton of time. I've got a couple of testimonies I may or may not drop in. Here's what I want to just talk about a little bit. Who did he see when he called you? Who did he see? Who did Jesus see when he called you? Sue answered this in the car. I asked her in the car. She gave me a very good answer. It was good. It was a good answer. So who did he see when he called you? And what did he know that you would have access to when he called you? Um, I, I've had this, some thoughts around this. I've got two Bibles up here, which is always a little bit difficult to manage, but I'll see if I can manage it. because I don't have any notes, just got the Bible. That's all I got, which is probably all you need, really. If you read it, then you don't need your own notes. Um, let me pray. Let me just... Read a couple of things out of the Passion, then I can get rid of one Bible out of the way because it will distract me. Is that okay? But God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. You're going to want to know where it is, aren't you? 1 Corinthians 2.10. Yes, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit who constantly explores all things. After all... Who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. The gist of that is this. I think we need to learn to see others by the spirit. And uh, I'm going to use the example, the story of Peter, to just talk my way through that a little bit. But my challenge to you is, is first to think about how you see you according to the Spirit. You know, if we introduce ourselves to someone else, we'll typically introduce ourselves by the natural. But actually, what we need to learn to do, especially when we're in community is to learn to introduce ourselves by the spirit by who the spirit sees you see jesus was by by galilee and he saw 
two brothers, he saw Peter and Andrew, and he said, follow me. But who did he see? If we think about um, the disciples, I guarantee you this. If we had a quick quiz about disciples, we would probably come up with a top four list, which includes a denier, a betrayer, a doubter, and the one who said how much Jesus loved him. Pretty much. Because that's what we'd think. But when Jesus called them, he didn't see a betrayer, a denier, a doubter. He probably saw the one who would say that he loved. But, which I just think is funny, because the only gospel that says how much Jesus loved John was John's gospel. It's kind of funny. So, first, my first challenge to you is this, is who did he see when he called you? Who did he see in you when he called you? Who did he see in me when he called you? When he said, follow me, who did he see? Okay. And then I just want to jump to this, which is Ephesians um, 1. Let's start at 18. This is Passion Translation, which is why, just why I brought this up. because it's, this, is, this is a stunning passage. If you don't have this in the Passion Translation, just buy Ephesians or find it online and copy it out. Because this is what he knew you would have access to when he called you. Okay? So I, I want you to ask yourself, who, who did he see when he called you? And what did he know you would have access to when he called you? Are you ready? This might rock your socks. This might be enough. This might be all you need today. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth, it's pretty good, isn't it? Of God's glorious inheritances that he finds in us, his holy ones. Not finds in him, finds in us, okay? It gets better. I pray that you will continually, not just occasionally, experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. How do you get God's power? Through faith. Through faith. You know, one of the problems is that so many of us want a measurement of what has happened instead of a measurement of what we believe for. He said, he, when I come back, I won't find any blind eyes. No, he didn't. He said, when I come back, will I find faith? Will I still find people standing in front of blind eyes? That's what he said. That's what he's going to measure. I'm going to read that first bit again just because it's good. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was received when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. I think that covers it all. 
He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. And he alone. Anyone need anything right now? Well, here's, here's some good news. He alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. That's pretty good, isn't it? I guarantee you this. You meet with a group of church leaders... You start having a conversation with them, they'll tell you what they need. We need more resources. We need more help. We need more volunteers. Well, he alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. God has put put everything beneath the authority of Jesus Christ and has given him the highest rank above all others. And now we, his church, are his body on the earth and that which fills him who is being filled by it. He knew that you would have access to that when he called you. And he knew who he called when he called you. But I want to run through Peter just for a moment. The first disciples, Matthew 4, 18, and walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Who did he see when he called them? I don't know about you, whether you've ever kind of puzzled to yourself when Jesus went up, up the mountain and, uh, and got the names of the 12. I wonder how he reacted to Judas. It's just the sort of thing I think about. Like, okay, God, I, I got those, those guys. They sound good. They're good. But did you really mean Judas Iscariot? Is that the one you meant? He's going to betray me. But the others, you see, he didn't... See, when we think about the disciples, if I say to you, Thomas in here, you'll immediately... Oh, he's the one who doubted. If I say to you, Peter, you'll go, oh, he was that kind of slightly hot-headed, shoot-his-mouth-off denier. And John, oh, yeah, he was one who was always boasting about how much Jesus loved him, which wasn't necessarily wrong, to be honest. Maybe he was the only one who got the revelation. But you see, Jesus saw beyond that. I want to take you on the, on the story of Peter. I'm just going to jump at a couple of places. The great conversation. It's probably, you know, a, one of the great conversations, one of the great dialogues of the Bible is, is Jesus. Now he's gathering with a bunch of disciples. This wasn't a private meeting. Uh, and it, it was probably a, a meeting of something, maybe this number. It wasn't just the 12. I think too often when we read disciple in the Gospels, we think it was the 12 because there are other places when it's clear that there were 70 and plus numbers. Those who were following him, not just that group. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples saying, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, I I reckon inside Jesus at that point, he's going, he's got it. He's got it. He really has got it. He has worked out who I really am. Finally, he's got it. Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. No, you got that by the Spirit. 
You, you saw me, Peter, by the Spirit. It wasn't revealed by what you've seen in the natural. You got this by the Spirit. I, I think we need to learn to do that. We, learn, we need to learn to see each other by the Spirit. And it's not always easy because we get clouded by, by what we see in the, in the natural. But that what I read in Corinthians is really about saying, learn to see in the Spirit. And learn to see yourself. And learn to communicate who you are by who you've seen yourself to be through the Spirit. Let me give you one of the biggest clues that you will ever get of how to see yourself in the, in the Spirit. Prophecy. Prophetic words are encounters with the eyes of God who has seen you and knows you in the Spirit. That's what they are. So Jesus says, you know, this is great. You've got it, Peter. And because you finally worked out who I am, I can say to you more clearly in front of all these people who you are and what you will do. Now, what's interesting here is, you see, Jesus is able to say this. Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't thinking of what is about to happen three verses later or what's going to happen on what we know as Good Friday. He's not thinking, oh, God, i got to get Peter through a couple of big hurdles before I can actually call out who he is. Unfortunately, that's how he, that's how he is to us. He says, you're Peter. On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. And then what we got? Next verse. Next verse. Peter's shooting his mouth off. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes. And he be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside. Imagine Jesus. Let me take you aside. I need to have a chat with you. You have got this wrong, all right? I know a lot better than you. My name's Peter. And uh, let me just tell you, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns to Peter. A few verses before, you're Peter. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. Get thee behind me, Satan. On this rock, I'm going to build. Get thee behind me, Satan. See, the problem was, Peter went from seeing in the spirit to seeing in the natural. And what Jesus was saying was, when you see in the spirit, I can build a church on that. But when you see in the natural, you better get out of my way. Because you need to move aside so that I can be who my Father in heaven says I am. And, and I, I, I'm on a journey. I'm always, I, I don't ever teach anything that I'm not on a journey to try and work out and get clearer in my head and, and get better at living out. There was a, there's a young lady, we were in Norway recently. We've been, seem to be a little bit over the map, but it's all good. We were in Norway, we were at a YWAM uh, school. There was a, a young lady, my first day 
in the school. I was teaching for three or four days. Four days, I think I taught, something like that. She was on the front row. The, to be honest, the room was a, a little bit a little bit tame, a little bit quieter than I'm, I'm typically used to, I would say. And she was on the front row, and she was brilliant. She was like my best friend on the first day. <laughs> she, she was like responding. She was giving answers. And uh, I just, I just, I needed her. Like, I needed her there. And the second day, she was on the back row, and I said, what's the matter with you? Because, to be honest, on the first day, I'd kind of seen her reflecting on it, I'd seen her as more than she saw herself. Like, she's my best friend. <laughs> on the second day, she was like, well, I'm sitting at the back because I was interrupting you yesterday. What do you mean you're interrupting me? Well, I have a nervous tick. And she said, I had a nervous tick, and I was conscious that actually when some of my responses were, you know, she, and she obviously felt awkward and felt embarrassed. So she sits at the back. So I just said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And uh, she hasn't had a nervous tick episode since. Now, I, I wish I could tell you at the time I saw this. But I think I saw her in the spirit on the first day. I think I saw her contribution to a room on the first day. And I, I just want to learn how to do that. I have a little definition here. I don't know whether this will pass the great definitions of history but intimacy is to know God and to be known by God in such a way that our lives relationships expressions and behavior are continually shaped by it in other words real intimacy is that I know God and that he knows me but I know me the way God knows me that's the now, then that translates because intimacy then becomes between me and you that you know me by the Spirit and I know you by the Spirit. Does that make sense? See, Jesus saw Peter. He saw him in the Spirit. Jesus didn't see the obstacle. Jesus saw something further in the future. Let's though jump to... Um, Luke 22 and uh, verse 31 Simon, Simon, behold Satan has demanded this is Jesus talking, it's all in red in my Bible has demanded permission to sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you when once you have turned again strengthen your brothers now, other gospel writers just give the, I tell you this, you're going to deny me three times. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. But, but Luke doesn't. Luke adds this other piece. Jesus said, I've prayed for you. Because Jesus, he's seen him in the spirit. He's seen him according to, he's seen the denial piece, but he knows what happens afterwards. He knows the rest of the story. Because Jesus is seeing Peter in Acts chapter 2. Je Jesus is actually, I know this gets a bit risky in our evangelical, Protestant, charismatic river culture, but Jesus is probably seeing the statue of Peter as the first statue of all the statues in the Vatican Square because he's up there. And I don't know if you've ever been there, that 
thing does something to me because they have got a history. They trace everything back to this man, Peter. You can play around with that as much as you like. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail in you when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Gosh, that must have been hard. And he said to them, when I sent you out without purse and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now let him who has a purse take it along, etc., etc., etc. And then we have the story of Peter denying Jesus. Go back to Matthew 16. I told you I was all over the Bible. It's a good book. <laughs> Recommend it. Listen to this. We got, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, yeah? Got that bit? Then we've got, get out of my way. You're a Satan, all right? And Jesus says this, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus is effectively warning Peter. This, this denial thing's a really big deal. He gave him a really good warning and then he gives him another warning. I tell you the truth, you are going to deny me before the cock crows three times. You're going to deny me. And then, of course, Peter does deny him three times and he goes outside and he wept bitterly. I bet he did. What, what I'm trying to get at is this. Jesus sees you and sees me according to the Spirit. Jesus didn't call Peter and say, oh, you're, you're the denier. He, he's seen Peter. You're the rock I'm going to build my church on. In fact, I believe what he saw was he saw that Peter would be a type for us all that would teach us all how we must live our lives. And that's why I'm trying to just want to encourage you this morning is to learn to live out of who the Spirit says you are. Now that moment, when, when, Jesus, um, when Peter's denied Jesus and he goes outside and wept bitterly. You know, none of us want those moments, do we? But the truth is, we've probably got them in our story. See, where are you on the story? Are you a follow me? Is that your response at the moment? Have you, have you made your first response? Follow Jesus. Because Peter's a follower of Jesus. Peter accepted the first invitation to follow Jesus. Then, then Peter becomes a recognizer of Jesus. He, he's the one who recognized the anointing, the Messiah. Maybe you're there. Maybe that recognition has gone deeper in you. Or maybe you are at a place in your life where it's like, gosh, it feels like there's a bit of a denial going on. feels like I'm not really living out what Jesus has said about me. Or maybe you're a little bit of an obstacle to what Jesus is doing right now. 
Wherever you are in this journey, the good news is that Peter comes all the way through and fulfills what Jesus saw about him from day one. But for you and I, we need some more revelation. You see, we need the moments that Peter had with Jesus when he said, you're Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church. We need to hear that. We need to hear what he's saying about us. And then let me just go to the end and I'll try and do a little bit of wrapping up so I don't want to take too long. But we have this absolutely stunning exchange between Jesus and Peter at the end of John's Gospel. If you want a few like single words, we've got Jesus, we've got Peter who followed Jesus, we've got Peter who recognized Jesus, We've got Peter who denied Jesus. We've got Peter who ran to the tomb looking for the evidence. Has he really gone? And then at the end of John's gospel, we've got Peter who dives in. He dives fully in. He's out there fishing. He'd gone back probably to his way of life. He's seen the one that he's been with for three years that he thought was going to be there forever and always be by his side, that he would have a way of life as an itinerant with Jesus, wandering the streets of Jerusalem and beyond. And now Jesus has been crucified and Peter has denied him three times and he's wept bitterly and he's gone back to his old way of life and he's out there fishing. And then Jesus turns up on the beach. If there was ever something I would like to experience, it would be breakfast with Jesus on a beach. Let's just be honest. I don't think there's a better picture than that. And John dives, uh, sorry, Peter dives in. And then they have this incredible exchange. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I have been playing around in my head with this for quite a long time now. And I've, I've read different theologians' reports, and I have an interpretation of it. And I'll, I'll give you an interpretation of it. But you know, you know what happens. Jesus says, do you love me? Yeah? Do you love me? And, you know, some of, some of the commentators say, well, he, he asks him three times because he has to match the three denials. Yeah, that's probably good. I'm good. That's okay. It's nice and tidy. It's neat. But there's so, there's so many kind of variations. In it. And Jesus says to Peter, do you love me again? Yeah. Peter apparently getting a little bit irritated. But then he says, do you love me a third time? He changes the word for love though. The first two times he says, do you agape me? Now I, I hear a lot of people say he lowered the standard of love to invite Peter in. I don't think he did. I think he raised it. I think he, he raised the standard because he's now getting back into calling the Peter that he originally saw back out of himself. Now, this is my theory, and I'm not a theologian. I've read the book, is what I always say. I've read the book more than once. I love the book. I love him. Twice, it's agape, all right? I think that agape needs... So here's my well, agape is God's unconditional love. And I am meant to have unconditional love 
for the whole of mankind the same as God had un unconditional love. But I do not believe I'm required to have filio love for the whole of mankind. See, the third filio love is brotherly love and it's shared values. You see, if, if I have brotherly love for you, Dwayne, it, it, we've, we've stepped into shared values. We've stepped, in, stepped into believing the same thing, loving the same thing, pursuing the same thing, having the same values. And, and we're, we're tight in that, so to speak. If, if you are, go back in time and you're, you're an enemy of mine for some reason, I'm not saying you are, but let's go back in time, I'm only required to have agape love for you. I'm only required to love you with the Father's love and the Father's love will give you what you need, not what you want. But filio love is shared values. What Jesus is doing here with Peter is saying, I want to pull you back to that shared values. I want to pull you back to that partnership. And from there, what happens next? What happens next is Acts chapter 2, where Peter takes his stand with the 11, not with the 12, because Judas is out of the picture. And the denier turns proclaimer. See, who did he see when he called you? You see, what we will do is easily drag ourselves and drag each other down to what we see in the natural. We will reduce what we have access to by what we have access to in the natural. But when Jesus called Peter, he saw Peter on the day of Pentecost taking his stand with the 11 and saying who Jesus is. And saying, in Joel, this is being fulfilled before our very eyes. What the prophet prophesied. Jesus saw that by the, Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee when he called Peter a fisherman and said, follow me. He didn't think, oh, we've got to get through the denial. We've got to get through the Satan obstacle thing. We've got to get through all this stuff. He saw that all the way through. And he took a man, he said, follow me. Peter was first a follower. He's first a follower. He, he followed the pastor teacher, Jesus. And then Peter recognized the Messiah, anointed Jesus. And then he stepped back into the natural and said, this is not going to happen to you. And then, of course, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, no, that cannot be because Peter's back in the natural. He's fighting the natural fight and not the spiritual fight. And then, of course, Peter's the one who runs to the tomb to see if it's true that the tomb is empty. But in his pain and in his bewilderment and in his self-criticism, he goes out fishing but then he has another opportunity because Jesus, it doesn't matter how hard you pursue him, I'll tell you something, he'll pursue you more. He will pursue you more. And it doesn't matter how far you've tried to stray from who he saw when he called you, he'll keep on pursuing the one that he saw when he called you. Sue was saying to me her description on the way here. She said, you know, what, what we do is we, we say yes to Jesus, we follow, follow Jesus and then... Uh, she kind of described it in this beautiful sort of way. She said, and then Jesus sees us do something when we're 25. And it wasn't quite what he'd originally planned. But he's like, but I can work with him. I can work with him. It's okay. You know, one of the biggest challenges I personally think in our world today 
is choice anxiety. People are afraid of making the wrong choice. I want to tell you something, you can't. If you're in Jesus, you can't. You can't. Do you know why? Because you won't know you did. Because he's so good at turning trash into treasure that he'll touch your wrong choice because you're in relationship with him and he will turn it into treasure and you'll think that the choice you made was the right choice and you'll never know that you made the wrong choice but your Jesus the Redeemer touched it because he knew who he called when he called you and he is committed to see you get from the Sea of Galilee to the denial of the cross, back to the Sea of Galilee, to declare that you love him, and he is determined that he will see you take your stand. You see, you might think you're pursuing Jesus, but he's pursuing you even more. He just is. I believe the Lord wants us to get on a journey of seeing in the Spirit, to see each other according to the Spirit, Check your prophecies. Check them. Pull them out of your pocket. Remind yourself who he sees. Just remind yourself who he saw when he called you. And remind yourself what he said you'd have access to. Because he hasn't changed. We were with a a graduate of the school the other day. And he said something I, I thought was utterly profound. He said, every one of us, school of ministry in Bethel that was, He said, every one of us will get to a point when we have to ask ourselves the question, do I believe the experiences I've had or not? Do I believe them? And I think it's true. I think we all get to that place where we have to say, will I believe the experiences I've had are true or not? And I think that Peter finds himself, Acts 2, Somehow standing there and drawing all the threads together of this slightly messy foot in mouth, said the wrong thing at the wrong time, denied my Jesus, denied my friend. Because Peter didn't just deny the Messiah, he denied his friend. That's why Jesus needed to make sure that he was back to being his friend as well as the one that could recognize the Messiah. I think he began to put it all together. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to just put together your life through the lens of the Spirit. Who does he see? Remind yourself of the prophetic words. Remind yourself of the encounters you've had. Because those encounters, they're they're how he sees you. He sees you through that lens. He doesn't see you through your failures. He doesn't see you outside weeping bitterly. He doesn't see you gone off back to your old profession. He sees who he called you. And he gives you the resources that he always knew would be available to you. Because Peter was able to stand up and say this, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and buried and his tomb is with us this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead 
and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. You see, he got back. He got back to where he was always intended to be. And he will get you back to where he always intended you to be. And here's what I want to do as we close. Maybe you're in the follow him stage. Maybe it's early, faltering steps. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, he will get you to where he's called you to be. He will get you. Maybe you're in a place right now where you feel you've let him down. You've denied him. You've not been living up. I want to tell you this morning, He will get you back to the place where you will take your stand and you will say, I can confidently say this, that as Sue often says to me, He either is, how do you say, He is who He says He is, or He isn't. It's profound. I trust you, that's the best theology you'll get this morning. He is either who He says He is, or He isn't. And I want to tell you this, no matter your point of need, no matter the challenge that faces you, He will provide you with what He promised He will provide you with. I want to invite you to stand. I don't embarrass anybody. I want to single anybody out. But some of you are in the early follow me stages and there may even be someone here today who has not said the first yes to the invitation of Jesus, follow me. If that's you, Come and get some prayer at the end. Come and let one of the team here know. But the two places I want to go is this, this morning. If you feel you've let him down, if you feel you're not living up to who he called you to be, if you feel, as it were, you might even be in that place that you've realized you've had the revelation, I denied him and you weep bitterly. moment to dive straight back in full immersion in the lake swim back towards Jesus and tell him I love you Jesus not just agape love but filio love shared values love the the love that takes a stand the love that doesn't dilute what you believe the love that says I can confidently tell you this Take a moment and commit yourself back to Him. Dive in. Swim to Him. I don't have time to go into this this morning, but I've just recently listened to a message that basically says this. Every time there's a meal in the Bible, it's an opportunity for reconciliation. There was a meal on a beach. It was the invitation to reconciliation. Imagine there's a meal on a beach for you. There's an invitation for reconciliation. There's an invitation for reconnection with Jesus this morning. Just take a moment. And then finally, where's your need right now? What do you need right now? Because He alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. Everything. What's your need? What's the breakthrough you need? Sue and I recently had a need. The details don't matter. 
But as we came out of it, we were able to look at each other and say, He came through. He came through for us. He came through for us. Above and beyond what we expected, He came through for us. Whatever your need, whatever your circumstance, financial, relational, spiritual, physical, emotional, He'll come through for you. He's the source of everything we need. The anxiety that was being broken in this morning, sleep disorders, addiction to prescription medication, He is the source of everything you need. Holy Spirit, would you come as we close this morning? And as we close, would you also remind us this? Who do you see when you see us? In other words, turn the verse around, not Jesus to Peter. Who do you say that I am? But Peter to Jesus. You to Jesus. Me to Jesus. Who do you say that I am? I want to see me in the Spirit. I want to see me the way that heaven sees me. And I want to learn to see others the same way. Share your prophecy with your friends. Tell them, this is a prophetic word I've got. Why? Not to brag, but so that they can learn to see you through the prophetic word. That they can learn to see you how heaven sees you. So that we can become the people you've always intended us to be when you called us and said, follow me. I want to be a follower. I want to be one who runs to check the evidence. I want to be one who dives in to tell Jesus I love Him. And I want to be one who takes my stand and declares who He is. That's our prayer this morning. That's who we want to be.